Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. We are in the second Sunday of Advent, and um, the staff all knows that Advent has arrived because our complimentary boxes of baklava have arrived from the local baby doctor that we've helped put his kids through college two or three times. And it's fascinating because we, I was thinking about that as we sang uh, Mary's song at the beginning of the service. That, and then Renee having her baby, and it's just a... a Interesting that such things coincide. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, first seven verses. We did have them in the Advent reading. I'm going to read them again in the New American Standard Version. I didn't put it up on the slides, however, because it's a little different. Your children all learned it in the King James, and that's how we generally recite it, which is fine. But there are some interesting ways that there are little differences that are not conflicts, and I I think they're helpful to, to see. So let's read together the word of the Lord, Luke 2. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're doing uh, sermons that are, well, they're children's sermons, but typically when we do children's sermons, all the children come up and and are here, and they're basically short. So we're doing 40-minute children's sermons, which are not quite as easy. But I'm going to try to engage with the children as we go through the sermon, and hopefully it will work. But children, you have to help. And if I ask a question, mom and dad, and, and the child you're, that's sitting beside you looks up at you and says the answer, they don't have to prove to me their vocal quality. You can, you can say they said, we'd like to hear their answer, okay? So the first thing I want to ask you, it says at the very beginning that there went out a decree. So children, what is a decree? What's a decree? Who said it? Loudly? A law. Okay, so let's see. uh, Do any of you have bicycles? Bicycles? Scooters? How many of you have ever left your bicycle or your scooter in the driveway? Okay. How many of you have ever heard a decree that went out from mom or dad that said, no more bicycles in the driveway, right? Okay, that's a decree. That's a decree. So a decree went out. A decree went out 
from Caesar Augustus. Well, who was Caesar Augustus? His, his uh, first primary name was Octavian, and he was the Caesar before Jesus was born and on through Jesus, uh, the beginning of Jesus' life at least. And this Caesar took the name, was given the name, was granted the name Augustus. Now, why was he granted the name Augustus? Well, the, the, he was being propelled by the Senate, and he was also a pretty scary guy. And so they wanted to give him a name, and they wanted to grant him something that was a little bit more. Well, Augustus is a title that grants him deity. It's like saying, this is the God Caesar. This is the God Caesar. And Augustus stayed with the Caesars for some time, and we'll get to that later, but the title actually stayed with them for some time. The God Caesars happened for some time. Now, this Caesar was a bad guy. He was bad. If you can think of ways that somebody can be naughty, children, this guy was naughty in all the ways. He was naughty in all the ways, and he was really naughty in ways that you would just go, ooh, he did that. He was scary to people. And anybody that was his enemy was really scared of him because he would have them killed. He was powerful. He was powerful. He was understood to be the, one of the greatest world leaders of all time. Now, I want to ask you something. I'll get back to later. How many of you have used, in regular conversation, the name Caesar Augustus in the last month? Anybody other than reciting the, the, the Luke 2? Oh, my grandson. He, he has an automatic up on his hand, I think. Okay. How many of you used that name in the last, in the last month? It, not, not reciting. You've just been saying to people, hey, I got to tell you something about Caesar Augustus. You really did. What happened? Okay, but that's still the Bible verse. Okay, that's good, though. That's good. I'm glad somebody asked you. So we're going to come back to that in a little bit. He was a wicked guy, but understood to be a great leader. It says that in the New American Standard Bible, it says the census was taken. What does the King James say, kids? What does it say? There went out a decree that all the world should be... Tax, good, good. Well, what's a census? Do you know what a census is? A census is where they count people. They see how many people there are. We could count everybody in the room, and we would be taking a census of the room, right? So is there a problem? Because this translation says census, and the other one says tax? Well, no, and I'll tell you why there's no problem. This particular census was a tax, It was called a poll tax, not a tax on Polish people, a tax, P-O-L-L. It was a tax on people for existing. If you had a head and were alive, you had to pay this tax, and they would count everyone, and they had to come and pay a tax. And so Augustus, this particular Caesar, actually 
started this whole system of taxation. He changed the system of taxation in Rome. He changed it so that it went from a system of what they called tax farming with, with tax collectors that, did, that were very, very corrupt and did a lot of corrupt things. They were less corrupt under this system, but actually he was more corrupt. <laughs> okay, so that corruption just changed places. So what is a tax, kids? What's a tax? You pay money. Yeah, we, one of the pastors, one of the evil pastors suggested that we actually take a tax of everyone's uh, busy bag fruit snacks this morning. Would that go off well if I would just take a tax of the fruit snacks? That's when you take some of your parents pay money to the government. And the government uses some of it to do things that are good, and it uses some of it to do things that aren't good. And we don't really have a lot of control, but nobody is generally very happy about taxes generally. Moms, dads, anybody excited that the rates go up, we're all happy, right? Nobody's really happy about that. It's when the government takes money. And so there was a 1% tax in that time on property and income, And then there was this head tax, this flat poll tax that was on everyone. And that's what was going on. Um, It happens that the Jews especially hated this tax because they hated Rome and hated being being, uh, led by Rome. And uh, it, it got so bad that in about 66 AD, they revolted in a major revolt. Now, this is a question that I'll I'll let a kid answer, but if you're a parent, you could also answer if the kids don't yell it out real quickly. What was the result of that revolt? That was the destruction of the temple. The temple was leveled to the ground. Jewish worship was stopped. Now, this is the next thing that happened is really fascinating. The Romans really wanted to make it even worse for the Jews. So before the destruction of the temple, what did every Jew pay toward the temple? Do you know what they paid? They paid a temple tax to the temple for its upkeep and everything, right? They paid a temple tax. Do you know what the Romans did after they leveled the temple to the ground? They, they levied a special tax against the Jews, And it was a special tax that was the same amount of money as the temple tax they were paying. And the money all went to the the Roman goddess Jupiter. Is it a goddess or God? Can't remember. God Jupiter. And it was all, and it was just like a horrible, offensive thing that they did. And when the Jews would pay it, they would, the only one thing good that came out of it is when they paid that tax, the Jews paid that tax, they were exempt from having to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. That was the only good thing that came out of the whole thing. So it was, it was taxation was not a happy, uh, a happy, clappy time at that time. So it says all the inhabited earth was taxed. Augustus had doubled the size of the Roman Empire. He had doubled it. It was huge. He was powerful. Uh, there, the wars had settled down. Not only had he doubled its size, but he had uh, subjected all the surrounding empire, um, uh, uh, kingdoms. And so they were all afraid of him and did whatever he wanted them to do. And so the, the world, as everyone knew it, was a pretty large place. Now, it didn't include, you know, if there were 
Eskimos or something, I don't know, but it didn't include those people, but it included everybody that they knew. Everybody connected to Rome was a large bunch of people. And he would put tariffs on the nations around him, taxing them as well. It was the known world at the time. Quirinius was governor of Syria, so uh, Caesar Augustus didn't come down to Judea to oversee the taxation. He had local guys that would do that, regional guys that would do that. That was the regional guy. And so everyone went on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Men, women, and children, households, and their entire households went to their own city. So the word for city, okay kids, the word for city is polis, polis. Now can somebody tell me a name for a city that has the sound polis in it? Indianapolis. What does Indianapolis mean? It means the land of the Indians city. All right, kids, that's all it is. Everyone went to their own polis. They all went to their own city. Where did they have to go? You went to your ancestral home. I don't know which ancestral home. I don't know how they made the determination, finally, the ancestral home you went to. I was born in Marlette, Michigan, also the birthplace of the mobile home. Okay? And that's the place I was born. My family... Corel, the name, there's actually a town in southeast France called Corel. And it has 51, now has 51, I looked it up, has 51 population, 51. Corel, France. Would I have to go to Corel, France? I don't know, but you know, I don't know how they dis- decided where the line would be. But it was os- obvious that Joseph had to go up to Bethlehem. He and Mary were both in Nazareth. And it says that that's where Mary was. It says that that's where she went from to go see Elizabeth. She went from Nazareth. And they went up. They were probably engaged and living in Nazareth. And they went up from Nazareth. Now, up is is literal in this case because Bethlehem was at an elevation of about 1,100, or I'm sorry, Nazareth was at an elevation of about 1,100 feet. Bethlehem is an elevation of about 2,500 feet. So they had to go up in that sense, plus going up for them, even though Nazareth was north of Bethlehem, and so in the sense of north to south they were going down, but going uphill, and they were going up toward the place near where Jerusalem was, and that was spoken of as going, going up as well. So they went up, and they went to Bethlehem in Judea because King David was a descendant of Boaz and Ruth, the book of Ruth. Kids, you ever have read the book of Ruth or had the book of Ruth read to you? Boaz and Ruth had a child named, if I get this right, Obed. And Obed's son was Jesse. And Jesse's son was King David. And King David was an ancestor to Joseph. And Joseph was supposed to go up to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, how big of a city, how big of a polis was Bethlehem? It was very small. That's exactly right. Bethlehem probably at the time had somewhere between two to 500 people. So if Trinity Reformed Church incorporated into a town, 
we would be the same size as Bethlehem was. Think about that for a second. It would be our church, essentially, in number. Bethlehem at the time. It was very small. It was very small. In fact, it says, too little to be among the clans of Judah. It was just, the Bible even says, too little. Which I think is interesting because remember, when, when uh, uh, Jesse's sons were paraded in front of Samuel, what ended up happening? The bigger ones, the bigger ones, the bigger ones, the bigger ones, and then finally, the little one. Well, you, th- you don't know how little he was, but the fact is the last one, the, small, the youngest one, right? And Bethlehem, the little one, right? Now, this trip would have been 90 miles, 90 miles. Do you think they took a bus? Did they take a train? Did they take an airplane? A Ford Transit? Did they ride on a donkey? Did the Bible say they rode on a donkey? Is this not beautiful? Do I wish this was how it was? I do, but this isn't how it was. This is absolutely beautiful. I'm thankful for it. But this isn't how it was. They likely walked. They likely walked. And 90 miles is a long ways. And do you know that, I'll try to do this in front of you. I I threatened in the first service to get a six to nine month pregnant woman to do this with me. And that's walk two and a half miles an hour. Okay? Mary's pregnant. If I do this, for eight hours, and then stop and do it for eight more hours, and then stop and do it for eight more hours, and then stop and do it for eight more hours, I've done about 90 miles. Four days, eight hours a day, solid walking, two and a half miles an hour. We don't know what the weather was like. We don't know what they had to wear. Did they stop at Chick-fil-A? Kids, did they stop at Chick-fil-A? Did dad get to stop, or or did mom, did mom get to stop at Starbucks? Was there a rest area? A rest area for them to go to? Did they go on a rest area? No, no, there might have been some bushes or a tree. No rest area to stop at. Have you ever ridden in the car to grandma's house or to uncle somebody's house in the back seat buckled in, in your car seat buckled in. Have you ever ridden in a car for eight hours? Some of you have, haven't you? Wasn't that fun? Yeah, liars. Maybe it was for you, but I know it wasn't for mom and dad. Okay, this was a hard trip. It was first going down to the Jordan River Valley, probably on paths and maybe some kind of crude roads, and then they had to go down the river, or, or, or south down the river valley till they got to the place that was more east of Bethlehem. And then they had to go up into the hills to Bethlehem. But it was 90 miles. It was day, then it was dark, and it was day, then it was dark. We don't know how many days it took. It was hot, or it was cold. It was wet, or it was dry. What did they eat? They probably took bread. Did it get old? They probably took some oil to put on the bread, some olive oil. Bread and olive oil. Mmm. 
Now, we think it's good as an appetizer, right? And wine, maybe, that they took along with them. They had no street lights. There were wild animals. Some of the places they went through were very rugged and wilderness. There were people who would rob you. And here was Joseph with Mary, who was probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years old, on their way to Bethlehem. Sweaty, stinky, tired, dirty, hot, cold, laying on the ground for a bed. And yeah, Mary was pregnant, some degree of pregnant. We know that when she left Elizabeth, she was at least three months pregnant because she was with Elizabeth for three months and she was pregnant when she got there. All because Joseph was from the lineage of David and because Rome had ordered a tax. He was to register with Mary, engaged to him. They had to go and find Bethlehem and the place they had to go where they had to fill out their tax forms. And they had to go fill out their tax forms. And everybody had to pay. Mary, they had to pay for Mary too, because remember, there was a tax for just having a head, just being alive. There was a tax. Okay? She was engaged to him, but they hadn't been married. There had been no consummation of the marriage. And you can read about all that as the angel speaks to Joseph and as the angel speaks to Mary, because she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit with Jesus. And it says that she was pregnant, and we know she's some form of pregnant because that, that's, that's real because she's, uh, the word there is the same word when you read the Gospels and it talks about the, the, the disciples out on the sea and the waves are big waves. And they're called, we call, sometimes called big waves, what do we call them? Swells. Mary was swelled. That's what it says. She was swelled. She was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. We don't know how long they were there, but the days were completed. And I, it's interesting moms, uh, you know, as, as you know, the, the, old, the old guys listen as women have, I always tell women, I'm, I'm so th- thrilled when you guys, when you ladies get pregnant and it's a, it's a joy and pregnant women are so beautiful, just know you're beautiful. But I always hear you tell me when the date the baby's coming because the doctor said that the days are going to be accomplished on this day. And I always say, well, just, just, Add two weeks, because it always depresses me to watch you get so depressed when the baby doesn't come on that day. I said, just add a couple weeks, (laughs) you know. While you're still feeling good, add a couple weeks. But it says the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she did give birth. She had her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, and all this means is uh, like you moms who swaddle, you have these 
blankets or whatever they're called, and I watch you do it, and it's fascinating, and you know, you kind of bend the baby and twist them and pull it up underneath, and you know, I would probably use duct tape. But you do it so well, and it's so tight, and it's amazing, and the baby, but Mary did this. She took cloths, and she took baby Jesus, and she tightly wrapped him up. She knew what she was doing, even though she was young. And then she put him in a manger. They were in a stable. It might have been a a cave of some sort. might have been behind what was the inn. Uh, It... I try, to, I try to think about what children, what is a manger? What is a manger? Yell it out. Go ahead. It's in a barn. Like a dog dish? Yes, but, but that's what you see usually now is a dog dish or a cat dish, isn't it? A manger is for big animals. It's for cows, it's for horses, it's for donkeys. It's a big food box for animals, right? Did they take a nice, um, did they take some really nice white sheets and lay them in the manger? Do you think they took Clorox bleach and bleached the manger out real good before they put him in it? No, maybe there was just some hay or something in there to make it soft. It was a pretty rough place. And they had to do that because the Bible says there was no room for them in the inn. Now, it wasn't a Marriott. They didn't have a Bethlehem Marriott hotel. It was Bethlehem. Maybe Joseph had relatives there, but his relatives, it was full. Whatever was full. Probably the inn was just like a bed and breakfast. Probably a bed and breakfast without breakfast, even. Okay? And there was no room. How did all this happen? What kind of planning did it take to get Jesus to be born in the place where God had said he would be born through the prophets at the time? What kind of planning did it take? Micah says, but as for you, Bethlehem, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Do you know how long Micah said that before Jesus was born? Anybody know? 700 years, 700 years before Jesus was born. God knew it was going to happen. He knew all about it. Yesterday, my family, we migrated to Cincinnati for a Christmas gathering. The plan was initiated two months ago. We left at 9.30 in the morning in two vehicles. We got back about 9.30 last night in two vehicles. We ended up leaving somebody. It was on purpose. We had four people who were sick and couldn't go. We had two, two planned stops, and we had multiple unplanned stops. Things were out of our control, even when we thought they were in, in our control. But 700 years before Jesus was born, God knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Because he was orchestrating the entire thing. How did it happen? The points I want to make to you today. One, marvel at the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, almighty God. Marvel at him. He is a wonder. 
Almighty God raised up the Roman Empire to bring about the birth of Jesus the Messiah in Bethlehem of Judea. Let me say that again. Almighty God raised up the Roman Empire to bring about the birth of Jesus the Messiah in Bethlehem of Judea. It's a different way to see it, isn't it? Is Jesus someone who would just be slid into history when the opportunity might present itself? Were any of these things uh, hopes on God's part that maybe this will work out? No. Not one. Just think about the intricacies of it being done. Just think about the reality that Caesar Augustus changed the tax system. That's it. How's that for you? But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. There was no surprise. There's no hope, I ha- hope it happens. That's me going to Cincinnati. That's not God. The fullness of time. Kids, when you're at school, do you have, do they call it recess still? Do you have recess? Break time? When's re- when recess is done, what happens? You get called inside. Yeah. Yes, you know why you get called inside? Because the fullness of time is done. How about when you're filling a glass with water? When is the glass full? When it's full. Well, this word just means that. All of time that was to precede Jesus coming, all the circumstances that were to happen before he came, everything that was supposed to be in place was in place, and the fullness of time had come. It was time. God says, now, and it happens, right now. So we wonder at the power of God. Secondly, we wonder at the love of Christ for the Father and for his rebellious creation. Wonder at the love of Christ. It says in Philippians 2 that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Born in a cave, in a town smaller than Salisbury, Indiana. Anybody from in the city limits of Salisbury? Is there a city limits, Brock? There is, really. Salisbury, Indiana. To a sinful woman 
who will ever, ever, ever more be called blessed, but needed a savior herself. For the redemption of a rebellious creation. He who by his eternal consequence had spoken all of creation into existence. This is what he did. Bethlehem. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God will see it done. And he did. And he is. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Don't lose sight of Jesus and his humility. Number three. Know that there is another census. There's another list of names. It's interesting. Caesar Augustus taxed Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. He had their names written in the records as citizens. But who is Caesar Augustus now? It took the Luke 2 passage for anybody to have his name spoken in the past month. He's nobody. He's a footnote. He's a footnote. In fact, (laughs) it happened fairly quickly in terms of how we think because in 300 and something AD, the the title Augustus, as I said, was given to the Caesars for a while. Until when? Anybody want to guess? until just after Christianity became the official religion in Rome. And then the emperor said, well, we can't have that. (laughs) And Augustus itself as a title disappeared. Because of who? The boy in Bethlehem. That's it. Because of the boy in Bethlehem. So Jesus' name was written in the Roman tax forms. We have governments now, new governments. My name is written in the tax forms as a citizen. I have to submit my records for taxation just like Joseph, so do you. Our children are counted and have an assessed value. We can actually show what the value of our children is as the government assesses them. Just like my car tells me how much I can have for my car mileage, right? Assesses all of it. But this kingdom, just like the Roman kingdom, just like the German kingdom, just like the British kingdom, just like the American kingdom, it's just going to just slide right away. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go, except for one. 
except for one. And that kingdom also has a list of names. The everlasting ruler of creation has a list of names. It's listed first in the Psalms, I think. It talks about the book of life where is recorded the the names of the righteous. And then it's listed in several other places in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, Malachi, but in the New Testament, several other places where it lists the book of life where the names of those who belong to Jesus Christ, the eternal King, are written down. That's the list you want your name on. You don't care if you're on the list of America. You don't care if you're on the list of whatever, AARP. Okay, we really left the children's sermon region there. The list of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the list of the names of those who are in the book of life. That's where you want your names. Children, that's where you want your names. Young people, that's where you want your name. Adults, that's where you want your name. Oldies, that's where our names have to be written in that book. And that book has a value just like all other kingdoms do, but that value has like no, there's no counting the value of Christ. There's no counting it. That was the purchase price. Lastly, oh, I should say this too. Bethlehem, he came, it happened. It's not a, it's not a story. It's an account. It's history. It's real. Don't trust in other things. We're driving to Cincinnati and we go by this hospital, big, complex, million-dollar flashy sign. And it's I-75, eight lanes of traffic. And it's like, here's the sign. This is, it's, if I'm remembering this right, it said, hope in science. Hope in science. And I just thought, oh, it's crushing. Hope in science, and then what? Die? Go ahead, hope in science, then die. You're gonna. You're gonna. And then you'll face the everlasting ruler. Hope in science? You guys pray that God just removes and keeps this oppression away from our hearts and our children's hearts. It's horrible. It's horrible. Fourth and last, there is another fullness of time. There's another, a a second, a subsequent fullness of time. And just like God orchestrated every single event bringing about the first fullness of time, the angel said to the disciples as Jesus ascended into heaven, why are you looking up at him? What's going to happen, kids? What did they tell him? What did they tell the disciples would happen? What's that? He's going to come back again. There's a second fullness of time. 
And God, just like he orchestrated everything that's happened to the first fullness of time, trust me, he's orchestrating everything that will happen to the second fullness of time. And just like for some people, many people, most people before the first fullness of time, the fullness of time happened for them by them dying. They, They died and didn't see it, but they just hoped for it. And for most people, the fullness of time, the second fullness of time, it will be us dying. I might not see him come back while I'm alive, but my fullness of time will come. And when the fullness of time comes, he'll raise me up out of my grave. Okay? That's the promise of God. And he's in control of this, just like he was in control of that. There's nothing happened. He's not waiting to find a little spot to slide Jesus in to the story. Well, couldn't we just find a place for him here? That's not how it works at all. Revelation 19, Pastor Killingsworth referenced that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and that verse precedes what I want to read now because this is a beautiful picture of Jesus in power and glory from the book of Revelation. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Not temporary. (laughs) Not temporary. When the second fullness of time comes, it won't be some kind of wonderful utopia that we have all imagined. (laughs) It won't happen until the King of kings and Lord of lords makes his appearance in the second fullness of time. And we are supposed to be anticipating that. Even so, Jesus, come quickly. Those words were penned how long ago? How long ago? A couple thousand years ago, right? Even so, Jesus, come quickly. Is God slow? Does the Bible even tell us that even God's timing is a, is, is a factor of his, his incredible love and charity and patience toward those he wants to save? Absolutely. This is the Jesus. This is the Jesus, the everlasting king, whose kingdom will have no end. And this morning, we have to make this connection. You have to to make this connection. This holy God, his hometown was... What? Bethlehem. That was his way of making a 
repair. That was the beginning of his way of making the repair to the horrible, horrible realities of our sin. He had to be that humble and do that much. Trust in him. Trust in him. Love him. Love him. Pray he has your name written in his book. Pray your children's names are written in his book and your grandchildren's names. Speak to one another about him. Caesar Augustus isn't worth talking about. Jesus gets talked about all over the world constantly because it's, it's, he's worth it. He's worth it. It's not going to end. It's not going to end. God is going to accomplish that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today for your kind mercies to us in Christ. We thank you that Jesus was willing to be obedient to your plan, even though it met in death on a cross, and that he was willing out of love also for us to take that action on himself and to save us from our sin. Lord, help us, please. Help us. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. May your kingdom come. Even so, Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. We bless your name, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.